Chigue, an only way podcast series focusing on current matters in the Mi'kmaq community. Gwe, Jalasi, Deluisi Sean Doak. Hello and welcome. My name is Sean Doak. I am a proud member of the Lennox Island First Nation and communications officer with Ulnaway. Welcome to Jigue, an Ulnaway podcast series focused on current matters in the Mi'kmaq community. I'm your host, and today I'm joined by Sabrina Whitman. Sabrina is Mi'kmaq from Glooscap First Nation and is the coordinator of Indigenous Affairs at Acadia University. She holds a bachelor's degree in social sciences from the University of Ottawa and a master of arts degree from Queen's University in Global Development Studies. Before joining Acadia, Sabrina worked for the last six years as a senior policy analyst for the Assembly of Nova Scotia Mi'kmaq Chiefs at KMKNO. She was the lead on all identity-based issues, including the development of a process identifying who is a Mi'kmaq rights holder in Nova Scotia and provided technical support for parks, culture, and heritage in intergovernmental relations and other related negotiation and governance-related issues. Hi, Sabrina. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing excellent. Thank you for joining me today. I really appreciate it. I am so excited. I'm honored to be able to have this conversation with you. I'm so glad to hear that. And trust me when I say the feeling is mutual. Today, we'll be discussing how the Mi'kmaq of Epicwit will begin the process of determining who is an heir of Mi'kmaq treaties and Aboriginal rights and title. So to get started, um, Zabrina, can you tell me uh, about the process that has been created in Nova Scotia and really what your role has been in that? Yeah, the process in Nova Scotia is really beautiful because it was based off of fully community engagement. Uh, And it's been a really long process in the making. It started as early as 2001 with what was called the Beneficiaries Project. And that was done by the Confederacy of Mainland Mi'kmaq. So that's one of our tribal councils in Nova Scotia. So they initially started the work. Then when negotiations began in the creation of KMKNO, Gwilmama Glusawak Negotiation Office, there were five pillars of values that were created that negotiations on the Mi'kmaq side had to follow. And pillar number three was to revive and promote a healthy Mi'kmaq identity. So even when negotiations started following the Marshall decision, identity was a critical and fundamental piece that had to be defined. And we had to think outside of the Indian Act, Mm -hmm. Uh, in terms of this work. But the priority really started in 2008. In 2008, the Assembly of Nova Scotia Mi'kmaq Chiefs and the Grand Chief of the Grand Council and the Grand Captain signed what was called the Nationhood Proclamation on Treaty Day. And that was reaffirming that Mi'kmaq is our land, is Mi'kmaq land. Nova Scotia is in Mi'kmaq. And a a fundamental part of our nationhood is defining who our people are. So stemming out of the signing of the nationhood proclamation, the chiefs again said, we need to really prioritize defining who is Mi'kmaq and who is an heir of the treaties. So engagement started in 2009 and from 2009 to 2015, a number of staff worked on the file, engaging community members on this topic. And it started with P.J. Prosper, now Chief P.J. Prosper, he was the lead on that at the time. And so through a number of sessions, community sessions, think tanks, symposiums, youth conferences, writing competitions, articles in the Mi'kmaq Maliseet Nation News, chief and councils, 
individual band sessions, uh, the, the list continues. A lot of engagement went on asking what values are important for Mi'kmaq and what would you want to pass on to future generations as being Mi'kmaq. That's how the conversation was framed. And then in 2015, I came on to review the file as, as a policy analyst and an identity-based research is one of my areas of specialization. So in 2015, I reviewed all of the information that we had collected from really 2008 upwards, all of the academic research that had been done for us, as well as what CMM had done, and drafted a, a, an initial process. And basically that process was to take back out to community members to say, did we hear you correctly? Did we not hear you correctly? And from 2016, when that draft was completed up until when the process was piloted last year in 2019, it was this constant back and forth of engagement with community members and with leadership. So there was more engagement with chief and councils, a lot of targeted engagement with different demographics that maybe had different viewpoints or weren't engaged as much previously. We really wanted to ensure that non-status and off-reserve Mi'kmaq, their voices were heard. So we heavily, heavily engaged with them as well. In addition to all of the other methods that we had been using previously. And like I said, each time it was me reviewing the work, seeing what are the gaps, what are areas we still don't have clarification on, going back out, asking those questions, redrafting and bringing back and forth to the community members. And then finally, like I said, we had the process completed and we launched it last fall as a pilot. And that was what the, that's basically what the process looks like. It's called Wula Naginu. This is who we are. And it's all about defining who is Mi'kmaq in the province of Nova Scotia. Mm -hmm. That sounds like a lot of work went into that and over quite a period of time. Can you tell me a little bit more about what exactly the enrollment process is? Yeah, so it's specifically what the enrollment process is, is it's specifically defining who is Mi'kmaq in the province of Nova Scotia, or really who is the heir of our treaty. So who has a right to exercise Aboriginal and treaty rights in the province of Nova Scotia? So it has nothing to do with the Indian Act. We're not talking about who is status or non-status Indian. And it has nothing to do with band membership. Band membership is determined by the bands themselves. And we were looking at a process for the entire province of Nova Scotia about, again, like I said, who is Mi'kmaq. And the process, as I said, is called Wula Naginu. This is who we are. And it really goes back to a statement made by an elder in a community engagement session in 2009 who said, you got to be Mi'kmaq to be Mi'kmaq. And I think we all know what, as Mi'kmaq, we all know what that means. Yeah. But you have to actually create a process explaining it that so it can meet legal requirements mm -hmm. uh, and to and when I say legal requirements procedural fairness so people can really understand that fairly we're assessing who individuals are coming into this process so that's what it's all about is taking this idea of you got to be Mi'kmaq to be Mi'kmaq and we all know what that actually means and breaking it down a little bit more about saying who that is. So basically, when we say who is Mi'kmaq in the province of Nova Scotia, it's all about who you're connected to, what family you're a part of. 
and, uh, and being accepted by the nation. But first and foremost, you have to be born into or connected to a Nova Scotia Mi'kmaq family. Mm-hmm. I think that's a very interesting way of doing things, you know, and that's, I, it sounds like that's what we need here in Epiquit, you know, a, a process that's, you know, by the people for the people. Can you tell me what role does the Canadian Constitution and the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People play in all of this? The Constitution, I think the main role that the Constitution plays, especially would come out of 1982, the Constitution Act of 1982, Mm -hmm. and recognition of our rights under Section 35, that we have Aboriginal rights. Um, But UN DRIP, is more powerful, I would say, than the Constitution. Mm -hmm. The reason why I say that is that DRIP specifically recognizes our self-governance and our self-determination, and that an aspect of self-determination is the right to nationhood, and that there's specific articles within UN DRIP that speaks to the right of a nation to define who the members of their nation are. So that's significant in terms of what we're doing with this work, because no one has the right to say who is Mi'kmaq except for the Mi'kmaq, and that's the same for any Indigenous nation within Turtle Island. And uh, until recently, we weren't able to do that. The Indian Act has really limited us in terms of what we can do and had others defining for us who we are. Whereas UN DRIP says, no, that is your right. And not that we need anyone to tell us that, but mm-hmm. that's an international document that further affirms and supports our rights to defining who we are and that it is an aspect of our nationhood to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. So how exactly are Aboriginal and treaty rights involved in this process? So I, I would say how it's involved in this process is just the fact of what those rights are and the significance of them. So in terms, it's our treaty right to, within the treaties, it specifically says our heirs and our heirs forever. So what do we mean when we say that? How is that understood? Uh, that it links directly back to, to what that means in today's society. And then in terms of Aboriginal rights, again, that's what are Section 35 rights and, and Aboriginal rights are the collective rights that flow from the nation that are based on our continued and our continued occupation of certain areas. And they are our inherent rights that existed and that we practiced before European contact. So that's really important to understand in terms of this work is collectively, how do we define ourselves as a nation? It's mm-hmm. not about individual people recognizing themselves as Mi'kmaq. The Mi'kmaq say is who is Mi'kmaq and who is a part of that nation. And Aboriginal rights really are about that affirmation. What, is the, what does the collective say? And that's always how Indigenous nations, but especially the Mi'kmaq, have operated is we are all about the collective. And that's what this work is about is together how will the nation define for themselves who they are? Mm-hmm. It's such important work. How does this differ from Indian status? Oh my gosh, it differs so much. <laughs> I, I, I love that question because um, the Indian Act is a Western European creation and it was about, all about getting rid of the Indian problem. 
So in the Indian Act, Section 6 defines who is an Indian, who is a status Indian. And it, basically the problem with the Indian Act is it doesn't recognize the uniqueness and the difference of every single Indigenous nation across Canada. It homogenizes us or basically puts us all together as one single group. It doesn't recognize the differences between culture, languages, and generally our societies. Whereas this work is saying specifically who is Mi'kmaq. The problem with the Indian Act too is that you don't necessarily have to be Mi'kmaq to be an Indian, and you don't actually have to necessarily be Indigenous to be a recognized Indian. We know that prior to 1982, non-Native women who married Native man, men gained status, and they're recognized as status Indians. Mm -hmm. that, that, that's, a, that's a huge challenge yep. in terms of defining who is an Indigenous person in general or, or who is Mi'kmaq. So this process is completely different from what is Indian status. It's really about decolonizing our minds and going back to how we understood our connections to, to be and how we defined for ourselves who was a member of our nation. I love that phrase you just used, decolonizing our minds. I found that that was just, that resonated with me. Um, Nova Scotia has, you know, obviously already designed their own process as we spoke about. Um, how can we build on that here in Epicuit? Um, I think there's a lot that can be done to build upon that. I think the great thing with Nova Scotia is that it has provided a foundation for any of the jur other Mi'kmaq jurisdictions to use for the basis uh, so much work went into the Nova Scotia process, as I said, goes back as far as 2001. So we're looking at almost 20 years worth of work mm -hmm. and engagement. And I think the way Mi'kmaq understand our identity is pretty similar across the board. It's just adapting it for how it would work in each area. So when I say it's pretty similar across the board, I think when we define who is Mi'kmaq, there's just two criteria in the Nova Scotia process. The first one is you have to be connected to a Nova Scotia Mi'kmaq family. You have to have ancestry. So ancestry means you were either born into a Nova Scotia Mi'kmaq family or you were adopted in and raised as Mi'kmaq prior to the age of 18. That's the first thing. And then you have to be accepted by the nation. So the nation needs to know who you are. And I think that's pretty consistent across the board. Whenever we interact with one another, no matter which district we're from in Mi'kma'ki, we say, who are you? Who are you connected to? Who is your family? And that is the foundation of what the Nova Scotia Mi'kmaq process is. But the difference in building upon what was created in Nova Scotia and what can be done in PEI is, well, how does it work specifically for you, how do you understand family connections? In Nova Scotia, we link it back to family names. We know in each community, there are specific families that are connected to those communities. And so that's how that process works. Maybe it's a little bit different in Epiguit, uh, how you understand that. In Nova Scotia, there's a cutoff date about how far back you can go and it's based off access to records. Maybe it's a little bit different in PEI how that is done. Um, so I think it's just adapting it to make it work for 
the specific history of Epicwit, which would be different from Nova Scotia and the unique story of each area. Um, and just looking at it and saying like, yeah, this kind of works for us, this doesn't. And having something that's already been done is so much easier to kind of critically analyze than having nothing in front of oneself. So Nova Scotia started from nothing and built something and Epicwit has the opportunity to just take something and kind of say, yeah, this kind of works, this doesn't, and build it from there. Mm -hmm. Many thanks to Nova Scotia for paving the way in that sense. Um, have you identified anything that might be particularly unique in establishing Epicwit's process? I think, well, Epicwit and Nova Scotia are unique in the sense that the only indigenous nation that lives within that provincial jurisdiction is the Mi'kmaq. So that makes it a little bit easier mm -hmm. for working on this type of work within a province because it's all, I mean, it's all the same shared values and cultural understandings because we're all of the same nation. So that's consistent between Nova Scotia and PEI, which would be different for New Brunswick or even into Gaspé in Quebec as well. So that is unique. I think the, the strength and value also in PEI is that it's a smaller population and you're only dealing with two communities. In Nova Scotia, we were looking at 13 bands and almost 20,000 individuals. So it, it's a little bit more challenging and the history between Unamagi or Cape Breton and mainland is a bit different. They were under two different governors. And so how our identity and our culture impacted individuals was different in those two areas. So it made it a little bit harder for trying to create a process that worked across Nova Scotia because of those different histories. But in PEI, it's a smaller geographical area and a smaller population. So that makes it a bit easier as well. And I think what is unique too in PEI is that you've had a lot of genealogical work done that provides a great foundation for doing this work as well. So those are a few of the things that uh, makes this work really unique and I think will, can really advance things quickly as long as engagement, community engagement is at the core of everything. Mm -hmm. So why do we need a process? What makes this process so important? The reason why we need this process is it's no one's right to tell us who we are. It's our right. and. Um, it's our inherent right. It's our, when we talk about self-determination, that's what it's all about. And so, I mean, we do have a lot of challenges today where there are individuals out there identifying themselves as being Mi'kmaq who aren't. And people who are speaking on behalf of our nation who don't have that right. And when we talk about the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and what reconciliation is all about, reconciliation people have to understand is that we have our own voices and we speak for ourselves and so linked very much to that is our ability to define for ourselves who is our nation and who we are as a people and I'd rather identify as being Mi'kmaq which I do anyways but having our own process of saying that I would rather go through that process mm -hmm. than say that I'm an Indian because an Indian really is because Christopher Columbus got confused and didn't realize where he was. And then this title stuck uh, <laughs> and had it put upon us, but that's yeah. not 
we are. I'm Mi'kmaq. I've always identified as being Mi'kmaq when people ask who I am. And so this just fortifies it and really strengthens the, the nation and being able to take that control over. Mm-hmm. And the nation's identity, right? Exactly. It, it's uh, um, power relations. And for so long, European ideals have been pushed upon us and um, t- our abilities have been taken away from us. When I say our abilities, our decision-making and governance structures, and this is a key aspect of reaffirming and taking control again over those aspects within our society. Mm-hmm. So what is the process based on? The process is based on, there's a number of things that it's based on. My specialization, one of my areas of specializations academically is identity-based research. So of course, it really looks at the academic side of looking at identity. It looks at case law as well and other policies that have been created for gaps and lessons learned and things that we don't want to do and want to be mindful of. But most importantly, that stuff is great to look at and and have for guiding work and understanding these things. But the core of what this work is based on is the community and the nation and and engagement and how individuals understand it to be. Um, And that's what it has to be. That's what it means to be Mi'kmaq in general is defining or linking things always back to the nation and seeking consensus from the nation. And that's what this work is. Mm -hmm. So how will we create this process? So it's exactly like what this work is and that's how this work will be created. It's going back to community members and asking, how do you understand these things? So really how it's starting off is, as we've already said, Nova Scotia has provided a great foundation of work as a basis. And that provides information for us to take to to Mi'kmaq and PEI to say, does this sound right? Does this not sound right? But it's about also asking the question of what values and traditions are important to pass on to future generations, because we want to frame this work around being positive and not negative. It's about uniting us and not dividing us. Mm -hmm. So with that frame of mind there, Uh, It's being used to go forward and ask questions with community members about this topic, about what's important to them, analyzing it, and then bringing it back again and saying, okay, did we hear you correctly? Did we not hear you correctly? And it's about having honest conversations and conversations that are in safe spaces as well for people to get out their emotions and their feelings and their concerns and to make sure that they're heard. And that process will keep going back and forth until we get to a point that the majority of individuals feel comfortable with what has been developed. Mm -hmm. Maybe you can speak to your experience um, from this process in Nova Scotia, but is there any challenges in particular that will come with creating this process? Yeah, the biggest challenge goes back to the statement I said earlier about decolonizing our mind. Mm. It is so hard for us to get outside of the idea of the Indian Act and this idea of status. Are you a 6'1"? Are you a 6'2"? Do you live on reserve? Do you live off reserve? Mm-hmm. Uh, this constantly is in people's minds. And we just we have to 
juggle it a bit and say that doesn't matter who how do you understand your family? Who is a part of your family? How do you look at that when you have conversations with people? What is it that you ask? And like I said, again, it's, we always say, who, who is a member of your family? Where do you come from? Who are your parents? This is what it means to be Mi'kmaq. We just have to go back to that. Mm. But it's just, like I said, that decolonizing of the mind, getting outside of the Indian Act is a really hard act for us to do and it sometimes can be uncomfortable too because it's scary for over a hundred years now we've had a process put on us saying who we are and to develop a new process it's really not a new process we're just going back to the way we always understood things to be and we still have that as a part of who we are but at the same time it is something new and different and for people to trust that it's a process that will be developed that is living and will change as our nation changes and our society changes. But it's, it's a little bit scary. So having trust and again, like I said, just decolonizing our mind is the, are the two hardest things that we have to do. How will the Epigwit Mi'kmaq be involved in this process? Uh, they will be involved in this process through every step of the way. We really just started this work. I would say I had presented at the launch last September about the Nova Scotia process. And that was the first time I think really starting the discussions. And I know a little bit of information came out during the visioning sessions that were done over the, I think late fall and throughout the winter. But this work hasn't started yet, it's starting soon the engagement process and um the Mi'kmaq of Epiquit are going to be involved in it from the get-go and I know there's going to be things like have you thought of this why are you saying you're doing it this way why is it this way and um great questions to be asked by community members really specifically members of the nation um but there might not always be answers because we're just developing it and that's what we're coming out and doing. And really it's Richard coming out and doing and asking these questions of community members. And then we'll come back and, and analyze it a little bit more and see the, the gaps. But um, the whole process is all about involving the Mi'kmaq of Epiquit. Mm-hmm. What about the rest of Mi'kma'ki? The rest of Mi'kma'ki uh, are at various stages of working on this work. I have provided updates and presentations to the negotiation table for a few years now. And when I say the negotiation table, all of the negotiators who negotiate on behalf of the Mi'kmaq and Mi'kma'ki meet regularly to update each other and to share on what they're doing. So everyone's always been briefed on what was happening in Nova Scotia and taking information on that on other areas that I work on identity-based work, I provide support to different First Nations on that and give them information. As well, we, I presented last spring to all of the Mi'kmaq chiefs on this topic as well. So uh, they're aware of the work that's happening and uh, it will be to each jurisdiction in each area, how they actually wanna develop this work. And it's really important because each provincial jurisdiction has a different history 
um, than one another. So it makes sense that each area would do it differently, but then at the end of the day, see what our commonalities and how we can all work together on this topic. And so what I mean, for example, and that is enforcement. If a, if a Mi'kmaq from outside of Nova Scotia comes to Nova Scotia to hunt moose, for example, how do they go about that? What does that look like? And vice versa, if someone comes to New Brunswick to hunt moose, because New Brunswick has way more moose than Nova Scotia, mm -hmm. what would that process look like? Maybe we come to PEI to fish, what does that look like? So it's kind of building those interjurisdictional measures between the different parts of Mi'kmaq and how can we work on that as well. And that's gonna take some time, but um, everyone is kept well informed on all of these issues and are having conversations with each other on all of it, which I think is really great and fundamental. And it's about what being Mi'kmaq is all about anyways. Uh, our connections are really strong to each other no matter what part of Mi'kmaq we're from. Mm, I agree. So I have one last question for you, and this just popped in my into my head just now. Um, how will the Mi'kmaq leadership of Epiquic be involved in this process? Uh, how will the leadership be involved in this process? They've been leading the work all along from the very beginning. They're the ones who identify that this has to be a priority and this work has to be done. Mm -hmm. So it's their direction that will be always thought throughout this whole process and the work will always link back to them and say this is what we've heard from the community and this is how we're proposing or advising to move forward and and they will direct us on on the best method uh, of moving forward but as the leadership it always comes back to them well i think that just about covers everything i had um Thank you so much for joining me today, Sabrina, and thank you to all those who are listening. Stay tuned for our next episode. Msit Nogama, Wilalio, all my relations, thank you. Thank you. To find out more about Ulnui and the Mi'kmaq rights reconciliation process, visit ulnui.ca.